I'd like to invite you now, if you will, to please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you were not with us last Lord's Day, we spoke about the matter of the Christian's mutual submission to one another. From 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. And I mentioned then that there are six ways or six means or six avenues whereby Christians can love and serve one another. Coming as it does at the end of a section on submission, we could say that this is our mutual submission to one another. Peter says in verse 8 that there are five of those six ways which are mentioned there. He says to sum up or finally... All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted or compassionate, and humble in spirit. Last time we discussed in detail what those five terms really mean and how they are to be fleshed out with one another in the body of Christ. And I noted for you that verse 8 says, all of you, that means that all of those who are serving the Lord in a local body, members of one another, committed to each other, are to be living out these things. We're to be in harmony with one another. That is, to have beautiful music as we spiritually serve one another. We're to be in sympathy with one another. That means that we look to one another and we see how one another are getting along in the Christian life. And we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're to be intertwined with one another, as it were, so that we might be able to minister to one another, to see the joys and the sorrows, and to come alongside each other for the purpose of ministry and service. We saw also that we are to be brother lovers. That's what that word brotherly is literally translated by. Brother lover. Philadelphoi, to be a, a brother who loves other brothers. To be a sister who loves other sisters in the body. And also compassionate. To be kind-hearted or tender or merciful or to pity one another, to come alongside because we see one another in great need and we are to be tender to each other. And then humble in spirit, low-lying, to be low to the ground, to be bowed low. To be humble spiritually is not to think about yourself a little. It's really not to think about yourself at all. It's to think about others. It's to be other-centered. And those are five attributes or five virtues or five ways or means whereby we can live together in unity in the bond of peace. We can mutually submit our wills to the wills of another person whom we are trying to live together in mutual love and affirmation. I left off, however, with a sixth and final virtue, a final way or means whereby we can live together with each other. And that is to say that we are, according to verse 9, not to return evil for evil or insult for insult. Now, as I mentioned last time, The reason why I left off with those first five and did not complete the latter one is not because I ran out of time, although that's often the case. The reason why I left off is because I think Peter 
is probably making a transition here in verse 9 to speak not just of our relationships with one another in the body of Christ, but how we can then extend what that love looks like as we minister to one another in the body of Christ, how that love looks like when we go outside the body, as we look to the world, as we are perceived by them. And I think that because Peter will go on to speak in verse 13, in fact, all the way from verse 13 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 19, about the theme of suffering. Suffering. We've gone through a large section uh, on submission, and now we're about to head into a long session on suffering. And I think that this particular passage, specifically verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, really give us a bridge. A bridge to a new section, tying what has gone before and what will follow. Sort of serving as a connector passage to what has been written up to this point, as well as to that which will come before us next. And it may well be that verse 8 emphasizes a call to respond within the body of Christ, while verses 9 to 12 might emphasize to us a call to respond to those both inside, but especially outside the faith. Now, of course, it is true that people within the body of Christ can perpetrate evil against their fellow brethren. Yes, that's true. And it may be well that we have no more than a general command to respond to everyone by not returning their evil with our evil or their insult with our insult. Yes, that is no doubt true. But after having just stated to the church that they must be harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and humble in spirit, it would seem strange to me at least that Peter would say in the very next verse that we are to respond with good to our brother or sister's evils and insults. I mean, it would seem a little paradoxical for him to talk about harmony and sympathy and love and compassion and humility and then speak about others in the body of Christ and their evil and their insults. Seems to me that he's making a bit of a transition to talk about not just our relationship with fellow members of the body of Christ, but our relationship with all men, including those in the body of Christ. Seems to me that he's making a transition to what he's about to teach us, and that is that we are to be a certain kind of body, a certain kind of believer in the midst of great suffering, suffering at the hands of evil people and their insults, non-believers, non-Christians, those outside the body of Christ, those outside the faith. And this is how every Christian is to respond when anyone, whether it's someone within or outside the body of Christ, this is how we're to react when suffering under the hands of someone else's evil or someone else's insults. Jay Adams, who has, of course, preached in this pulpit and who is a friend of this ministry, once wrote these compelling words. If there is anything that counselors find again and again, it is defeated and overwhelmed people who believe that their situation is hopeless because of the evil that others have done to them. Over and over they, that is those counselors, hear, so-and-so did this to me. My parents did it to me. My wife, my husband did it to me. My boss did it to me. Circumstances did it to me. Now, of course, Adams writes, these persons may have wronged you in any number of vicious ways. We won't dispute that. Evil doing is all too prevalent in this world. We need not question that point. But suppose they did do something to you. Suppose, for that matter, that they wronged you severely. So what? Is that reason 
for defeat. J. Adams is essentially asking the question, is it true that someone's perpetrated evil, even legitimate evil done to you, is cause for living a defeated, frustrated, and weak Christian life? Someone does something evil against you, if they slander you, if they insult you, if they do all manner of evil against you, is that reason alone? Is that sufficient for a person to say, because that's been done to me, I now can respond with no other response than to live a defeated, discouraged, despondent Christian life? Is that the only response? Is that the only way out? Is that the only way to deal with them and this evil world? Is that God's plan for the believer and their suffering? Or can a Christian rise above the evil and instead live victoriously in this Christian life? Can a Christian overcome evil and live courageously even in the midst of harm and suffering? Well, Peter's answer is an emphatic Yes. Notice what he says in verses 9 to 12. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now what does Peter say here? is our battle, and how are we supposed to war against the evils and the insults that we will receive? And we will receive them, especially being a Christian. Especially being a Christian. Did you see on television or on the internet this week some of those amazing pictures of some of the chaplains digging a little hole in that very, very rugged terrain and uh, using that hole and filling it up with water and placing some bags around it to make a little baptismal pool because some of those soldiers had not yet confessed Christ and in meetings with some of those chaplains professed their faith in Christ knowing the end for which they might meet their Maker. And that chaplain then had the privilege of baptizing some of them some of the other soldiers uh, grabbing the arms of the one being baptized, placing them under, and then bringing them back up to symbolize, of course, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are amazing scenes. Amazing pictures. You say, why so amazing? Because they know that there is a very real possibility that just after a baptism like that, that they may die. And because of that, they want to ensure that their life is right with Christ. And surely, once that baptism has taken place, or if one of those soldiers, or many of them for that matter, have already confessed Christ, already been baptized, they have a right relationship with the Lord, and they're warring in a very, very real and tangible battle to say nothing. To, to say nothing of the spiritual battle that's occurring inside, is that not what's occurring in so many hearts and lives like you and like me? Uh, we might not be fighting that physical war, but we are battling and warring on the inside and with the world against us. Evil aggression. How many times have you heard that particular phrase being used? Evil aggression. Evil aggressors. And it's true that people will insult us and say evil against us. Right now, in case you haven't noticed, in many parts of the world, in fact, I just checked the Internet this morning, and it said the Italians are rising up against the Americans. We're not real popular right now with a lot of people. 
Because people think that we are, in fact, wanting to impose our American will on the will of other people. Now, there are, of course, notable exceptions to that where people are welcoming our intervention because they have been under a despotic rule for many, many years, sometimes decades, if not a half a century. And so many of them are wanting this intervention because their women are being raped, their children are being killed, their husbands are being compelled to fight when they don't want to fight, uh, they don't have the principles of a despotic emperor, they don't have the joy to be able to know that when they're fighting, they're giving up their life for the protection of right things, good things, honorable things. And yet, evil is being perpetrated against them. The same is true of us in obvious lesser ways, but the same is true of us. We will have people in our lives who will perpetrate evil against us. They will misunderstand us. They will malign us. They will speak evil against us. They will see our good and speak evil of it. They will look to us not for what we can provide for them and good we can do to them, but for what whatever motives or reasons they will malign us and slander our character and speak evil about us. That's the way of the Christian life. That's why Paul discipled Timothy in the truth that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Suffering will come. It may even be that in the providence of God and the events that are unfolding, that the United States of America may have to intervene in other conflicts, other issues, other countries for which humanitarian aid, especially coming in with our weaponry to stamp out the kind of inhumane treatment that is going on, it's all over our world. And because of that, we might again and again and again suffer reproach and criticism and that's not to say everything that we do right in America is right or righteous, but it is to say that there is a genuine desire, I believe, on the part of this government to do the right thing, especially by liberating those who are being held against their will. And that's why I believe it to be a just war. But if you were to back it off and say, well, what, what is it for me to be able to suffer evil and insults in my own country and with my own people, and in some cases even by my own Christian brethren. And Peter has a word for us in this. He says, and this is that sixth way we're to treat those around us, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Now, it would be very frustrating for you, I know it would be for me, if that's all Peter said. Well, just whenever someone castigates you, perpetrates evil against you, insults you, just don't respond in kind. Period. Paragraph. Move on to the next subject. That would be frustrating. How do I know exactly when that evil is coming, what insult it is. How do I respond to such a thing? How do I know an insult's an insult? How do I know an evil is an evil? You know, what's the, what's the overall context? What do we do? How do we live? Well, he tells us. And I think he tells us in two ways. For instance, in verse 10, he tells us exactly how we're supposed to respond with our lips our words. And in verse 11, he tells us exactly how we're supposed to respond with our actions. In verse 10, we're called upon to react in a certain way. And in verse 11, we're called upon to be proactive. We are to react when people perpetrate evil and insults against us. And we are also supposed to be proactive to these people. In other words, we're to react and we are to respond. There's something that I must do 
when I don't know the evil is going to come, when I don't know the insult, it hasn't even been uttered yet, the evil deed hasn't been perpetrated yet, and there's, there's a way for me to begin to arm myself so that when it comes, I don't react with a snap judgment. And maybe even before that, I can begin to think of ways to proactively respond to those who perpetrate that kind of evil against me. There, there can be a plan in my heart that allows me to respond to people in a very proactive way. I have a plan so that I'm not just knee-jerk reacting to those who sin against me. Let's look at the first one. Let's look at verse 10. Verses 10 and 11, of course, are really an expansion of verse 9. It explains how one is to respond to the evil that has been done against them. And I think Peter is also giving a reason in verse 9 for doing so. You are to give a blessing to those who do evil against you because out of the overflow of the blessing we inherit from God, we then bless. There's a spiritual principle there. If we are in Christ, if we love Jesus Christ, if we want the blessing of Christ, and if we know that it's ultimately going to come when we reside with Him in heaven, we know all of the spiritual blessings are going to be given to us in full measure then, I also need now to understand that out of the overflow of both present and future blessings, I'm to take from that overflow that which I've been blessed with and then bless others. That's what he's saying. Out of the overflow of that which I've been blessed with both presently and in the future, I'm to take that mindset, that blessing, and I'm supposed to bless others. Not curse them. Not do evil against them because they did evil against me. Not so that I may take my pound of flesh because they hurt me. Because they injured me. Because they said things falsely about me. They accused me. They slandered me. And so therefore, I'm going to make them pay. Peter says, do the opposite. You've been blessed by God. You've been converted to Christ. You've been given those spiritual blessings in Christ. You are to respond instead of evil cursings, instead of perpetrating your own kind of evil against them, in the sense of you're trying to one-up their evil. You want to make them pay even more for that which they have done against you because it hurt you, it injured you. Instead of all of that, instead of that mindset, we are to instead give a blessing. Because you've been called for that very purpose. That, that since you are going to inherit a blessing, if you're truly in Christ, you will also bless. You say, that's otherworldly. It is. It is otherworldly. Because in my flesh, in my humanness, in my desires to be righted, to be treated fairly, to be talked to sensibly and rationally, I want that desperately because, and here's the idea, here's where people fall into the trap, because I deserve it. Because I deserve it. I deserve to be treated like that. Well, isn't it interesting that if we were to have that mindset, I deserve to be treated like that, we're going to be disappointed. And we're going to be sorely disappointed. And we're going to be sorely disappointed by a lot of people. How many people? All people. Because they have the same mindset, and when you don't come through for them, they're going to make you pay because you didn't come through for them. And sometimes it can become very ugly and sometimes the words can become very hurtful. But Peter says, don't do it. Don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing. In other words, minister. Out of the overflow of the inheritance of the blessing that you receive now because of your direct relationship with Jesus Christ and because of your future glory, respond. You say, how? This is why he tells us in verse 10 what he does. For the one who desires life, how many here desire life? For the ones who want to love, how many of us want to love? And for those who want to see good days, that's all of us. We, we want that tripartite blessing, don't we? We want to have life. 
We want to love and we want to see good days. Well, for the one who desires those things, here's the, here's the prescription. You must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. There it is. That's the answer. You say, that's not what I bargained for. I want the life. I want the love. I want to see good days, but I want it to come to me free and easy. Well, there's a price. And that price is, I must keep my tongue from evil and I must keep my lips from speaking deceit. And that's right out of what we read earlier, Psalm 34. Peter's taken that right out of Psalm 34. And that's us. That's how we as Christians are supposed to respond, both to one another, but especially those who don't know us, who don't know the faith, who don't care about Christianity. That's the prescription. That's... Godliness, that's virtue, that's holiness, that's keeping my tongue from saying something that I know if I said it, it would simply be nothing more than the returning of evil for that evil that has been done against me. I know that if I say it, I'm going to say something that number one is not right, and maybe even number two, speaking deceit, it may even be a lie. It may even be something that I know isn't true, but that I want to say about the other person to injure them so that they can see how much they've hurt me, even if I have to deceive in order to do it. And Peter says, that's not the way we ought to respond. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 37, just a few chapters from Psalm 34, this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse 27. Listen to it. Depart from evil. And this is why... This theme of departing from evil, doing good, not returning evil for evil, it, it is replete in Scripture. Psalm 37, 27. Depart from evil and do good. For what purpose? So you will abide forever. You want to abide forever? Then depart from evil and do good. Like Galatians 6. Do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. But we're to, go, to do good to all men. That's our response. When someone does evil against me, what's my response as a believer in Jesus Christ? To do good. They, they perpetrate evil against me. I'm supposed to do good toward them. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't understand. They did evil to me. They, they committed a sin against me. They spoke insults. They reviled me. They said what, is, what wasn't true about me. Yes, we know that. Or maybe we don't. But God does. God knows. He knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows what they're saying about you isn't true. He, he knows that you're being unnecessarily slandered. He, he knows that you're being bitten and accused and wronged. He, he knows that. And yet, the command is still that you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Christian, let me ask you. How do you respond to the evil done to you? What's your reaction to it? Peter says here in verse 10 that we are to keep our tongue from saying evil things in return and we are to keep our lips from speaking deceitfully against our neighbor. You know, half the battle... If truth be told, half the battle in our disputes with others is how we respond to their evil. That we want to, we'd, we'd, we'd want to say, no, 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 it's 90% their problem. 90%, okay, well, 75%. All right, maybe 51%. But we still want to be able to say, it's more them than it is me. I wasn't doing anything. I was minding my own business. I was just walking down the street and someone accused me of something that wasn't true. Or someone thought that I was doing something I really wasn't doing. Or someone believes something about me that really isn't true. And we think that when they do that, when they say that, when they think that, I have every right to tell them what I think of them. And Peter says no. Keep your tongue from evil. 
And do you want any other better example than the Lord Jesus that we just learned from in chapter 2? Who, when He was reviled, what? Reviled not. Did not revile in return. When He was threatened, He uttered how many threats? No threats. No threats. And boy, if you're like me, when, when Jesus was in that unjust trial, and when He was being beaten, and when He was being scorned, and when Pilate and others were saying what they were saying and demanding that he give an answer, when you read those accounts, don't, don't you want to say, Jesus, tell them! Set them straight! Show them who's the king! Why did he not do that? Submission to the Father. Submission to the plan of God. Submission to the will of God. Submission to the purposes of God. See, that was greater than Jesus wanting to right the issue then and there. Wasn't right what they did. Wasn't right. But he knew it. But he knew the plan. And he knew the plan was to include his going to the cross for which then he could not utter any threats. God knows the same plan about you. God knows what you're going through. And God says, even in the midst of that, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. This must be one of these household codes that's very, 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 very clear and very, very numerous because almost every apostle, every writer of an epistle speaks of it in some way or another. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Oh, I wish he hadn't said never. Never? That's what I call one of those 100% words. Never. Always. Forever. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. There's another 100% word. To anyone. I mean, couldn't he say never pay back evil for evil to almost everyone? To someone? No, anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, some of the Pictures of this conflict in Iraq come so very clear to illustrate things like this. You've seen some of those pictures of some of the Iraqi soldiers, maybe even some of those with the, uh, with the Republican Guard or some of those who are very closely aligned and therefore very supportive. And when they are captured and injured, what do our medics do? What do our surgeons do? They operate on them. They're all about saving life. That's the Hippocratic Oath, isn't it? They're all about saving life. doesn't matter whose life it is. It's the idea that if your enemy is in need of surgery, do the surgery. If they're in need of being fed, feed them. If they're in need of being ministered to, minister to them. Yes, they are your evil aggressor. Yes, we know that. But you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is, this is throughout the New Testament. This theme of not repaying evil with evil. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And really, this is probably just references, quotations of the very Old Testament itself. Peter's borrowed from Psalm 34. In Proverbs 20, for instance, it tells us where all of this has come from. It's come from the very wisdom of God Himself. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Don't say that. 
Wait for the Lord and He will save you. That reference, Proverbs 20, verse 22, is probably where all those Bible writers received that idea. So then it comes in a New Testament parlance. Don't return evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Don't say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He's the one who will mete out vengeance. And when He comes, He will mete out vengeance perfectly. Uh, There'll be no wickedness in His heart. If we ever had the opportunity to mete out vengeance, there would be wickedness still in our hearts. With His, there is none. Look at chapter 17 of Proverbs. Chapter 17, verse 13. He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Boy, that is so convicting. He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. That's... Just like 1 Peter 3.16. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, that's insults, reviled, those who revile your, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. They do evil against you. They insult you. They say all manner of false things about you and you return good to them. The thing in which they revile your good behavior in Christ, they'll be put to shame. They won't be able to say anything bad legitimately about you. Now, that's that's the reaction. That's how you can react. How about the proactive? Look at verse 11. Christians must proactively turn away from evil by doing good to others, especially seeking and pursuing peace. Verse 11. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. You know what Peter's doing? He's closing the loop. He's saying it's not just your words. It's not just what you say with your lips. It's not just that you have to watch what your mouth is wanting to say. It's also your actions. He's covering it all. It's your attitudes. It's your words and your actions. We must proactively turn away from evil in our lives, in our behavior, and we must proactively do good, he says. And do you see the picture here? These Christians are suffering mightily. If the timing is right, if the chronology is there, they're even suffering under a despotic ruler named Nero who may come close to showing us Saddam Hussein or vice versa. And still yet, Peter says, you must turn away from evil and you must do good. You must do good. You must do all that you can to ensure that if someone reviles you, it is a reviling not based upon your sinfulness, but upon your righteousness. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, these words, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. I want you to be as far away from evil as you can. I want you to be ignorant of it. And I want you to be wise to that which is good. And by the way, I want you to know your report has reached the globe. What a commendation. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, in that very same section that talks about not repaying evil with evil, Telling us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to respond. First Timothy, or First Thessalonians, excuse me, 5.21 says this in that same section. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. I believe a reference to the Word of God and abstain from every manner of evil, every kind of evil. Some of your translations may say every appearance of evil. That doesn't mean something that appears as though it's evil. It means something that is evil. Every kind of evil. Every manner of evil. Every form of evil, you're to cast that away from you. When someone comes and reviles you and says all kinds of things that are against you and they criticize you, first thing to do is to say, is it right? Is it right what they say? Have they they pegged me? Have they rightly assessed me? And if they haven't, that's okay. That's all right. You're supposed to respond with a certain kind of response. And what is that? 
proactively reach out and do good to them. You say, just after they said what they said about me? Yes. Blow their minds for once. Show them that no matter what they do to you, you'll respond with good to them. You say, can I do that? Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. In fact, it's commanded. All of these are commands, beloved. This is what we're supposed to do because this is how we're supposed to live. Proverbs sixteen seventeen. I love this. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. That's the road you're supposed to be traveling. That's the road you're supposed to be on. That's the road you're supposed to be traveling. The highway of the upright is to shun evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. You say, what does it look like? You're a peace pursuer. Do I need to say much about that given our 9 o'clock hour? Peacemaking, not peace faking. Peacemaking, not peace breaking. It's a peace that God gives us. Hebrews 12, Psalm 34, Matthew 5, 9, James 3, 17 and 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, the end of verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Romans 14, 19 says, seek peace, pursue peace, labor for peace, bring peace. It's our calling. Synonymous with the term Christian is the term peacemaker. Peacemaker. I mean, when you've been in a conflict with someone, especially of late, have you honestly considered, pondered, proactively said to yourself, what can I do right now in the midst of the words that that person is just now speaking? How can I bring peace to this situation? Isn't that what Paul says in Romans fourteen nineteen? So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Next verse, do not tear down. I want peace, I want peace, I want peace, even in the midst of someone criticizing me falsely. And finally, as we close, Peter adds both a comfort and a warning. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Notice those three anthropomorphisms. The Lord doesn't have eyes. The Lord doesn't have ears. The Lord doesn't have a face. The Bible is accommodating itself to our language, to our understanding, to our physical form, to show us that the Lord is near us. The Lord doesn't have physical eyes, but, but the Lord can see the Lord doesn't have physical ears, but the Lord can hear. The Lord doesn't have a physical face, but the Lord can be angry. He can be stirred in His anger. And that's what Peter is saying. The first is obviously very positive. The last is very negative. His eyes and His ears are toward. Maybe that's not even the best translation. He is disposed. He's disposed to the righteous. He's for us. It's like Paul saying in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be what? Against us. The Lord is for us. The Lord is for the righteous. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to be courageous. He wants us to respond not with evil for evil, but with good toward evil. He wants that from us. And when we do that, when we respond in that way, when we live that kind of life, when we respond with that kind of Christianity, what does the Lord do for us? His eyes are disposed toward us and His ears attend to our prayers. Answered prayer. Answered prayer. Want your prayers answered? Keep your lips from speaking evil. Want your prayers answered? Proactively reach out and do good even to those who do evil against you. That's how He attends to your prayers. That's how, that's how He is favorably disposed to you. Now that is a challenge. But if we do what the Word of God says, if we fulfill the very Word of God, He says His promises can be gained. Not just claimed, gained. 
We, we gain the favor of God. But, here's the warning, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He is not favorably disposed to those who do evil. You say, is this a Christian? No, this is, this is speaking of a person who practices evil. He's the one who's doing the slandering. He's the one who's doing the reviling. He's the one who is perpetrating the evil against us. And there is comfort even in the warning. What is it? The Lord will deal with it. His, his face, His countenance. I, I don't want ever to see the furrowed countenance of the Lord. Why? Because it says His face, His countenance is toward the evil and He will judge them. One is a great comfort, the other is a great warning. You know, really, if we were to see the very judgment of God, you think, when you turn on that television, and I heard one of the reporters say that first night of that extensive bombing, the so-called shock and awe, I think it was Peter Arnett who said, this looks like the apocalypse. I said to myself, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. And it's not buildings. It's not even the earth per se, although it will be burned up with a fervent heat. It is the souls of men and women who spurn God, who say no to God, who say no to His offer of the sweet and blessings of the Gospel. And for those, His face, His countenance, gloom and doom await those for whom the face of the Lord is against. And you know, if we saw that picture, if we really knew that that kind of judgment resided on a particular person who had done evil against us, would we want to perpetrate evil against them? Knowing what they're going to receive in eternity? No, I think not. I think what it would do instead is it would cause us to want to reach out to them and say, be delivered from the wrath to come. Please, I, I beg you to be reconciled to God. I, I think that was probably part and parcel of the Apostle Paul and his heart. What did he say to his own countrymen, the Jews? If I myself, if it were possible to be cast away for the sake of my countrymen, Lord, bring it to pass. I would be willing to give up my own eternal soul if that were theologically and practically possible. I would do it for the sake of my brethren. That's a man who could say in Romans 12, don't respond to evil with evil. Oh, I want to reach out to them. Oh, I want to, to show them that the evil and the slandering is nothing but a heart that is far away from the Lord. And I want to plead with them, you don't know the judgment that's going to come. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee from it. And if I can help you, even in the midst of your perpetration of evil and slander against me, if I can help you, if I can show you that I could not otherwise respond this way other than the mercy of God shown to me, I would do so. See, that's... That's why we can't do evil to those who do evil against us. We, we know the impending doom. We know the wrath to come. We reach out to them no matter what they do to us. That's why Stephen could say when he was being martyred, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. How could a man do that? And that is why Jesus Himself said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Would that I would gather you as a hen would gather her chicks. But you would not. I say to you here today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, flee from the wrath to come. Flee from His wrath. And if I or anyone else has done evil to the evil that you have perpetrated against us, please forgive us. Please forgive me.
I want nothing but love in my heart to those who are on their way to an eternal perdition. Let's pray together. Father, how could we be nothing but harmonious and sympathetic and brother-loving and compassionate and humble and both reactively and proactively responding to the evil against us? How could we do nothing less than that? How could we how could we do nothing but seek peace and pursue it when we see that you have brought us from an alienated position hostile to you because of our evil deed and brought near to you by the blood of Christ made instead of an enemy a friend Lord we realize that we had done evil against You. We realize that we have perpetrated slander against You. And that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in order that He might bring us to God. Lord, I, I can't do evil against my neighbor when I think about all of the evil that I perpetrated against You. They're they're groping in the dark. They're mindless to the evil that they're perpetrating against you and against us. Their evil is beyond comprehension and yet it should motivate us to continue to reach out, to beg, to plead, to, to sound the alarm. The car is going over the edge. Lord, we don't want to respond with evil to anyone. We don't want to speak deceitfully. We we want to seek peace. We want to pursue it, Lord. That's that's our Christian calling. That's, That's part of the blessing with which we've been called. And we ask that You would bring us to a place of brokenness so that we might, instead of thinking evil to those who sin against us, we would think good. The pursuit of good. How can I be reconciled with You? What can I do to serve You? What does it mean to to heap burning coals upon Your head, but to feed the enemy, clothe him, repair him, speak kindness to him, Lord, in a paradox, You you bring others to Yourself by using us not to inflict evil and pain, but to give them good and blessing. May we do that for Your honor and for Your glory. And may we confess as sin our lack of good toward our brethren and toward those outside the faith. May we live with them peaceably. So far as it depends on us, thank You for meeting with us here. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.